Hello, everybody. This is your girl, Donna D, a.k.a. The Urban Mommy, and I am back with another podcast. Today, it's going to be a well-needed topic because many of us have to, are experiencing burnout. So today is all about burnout. Welcome, Michael. Thank you for joining us. Glad to be with you today, Donna. Great. Thank you. Okay, so like I said, guys, we're going to be talking about burnout. What is it? How we can prevent it? And Michael is a consultant, so we are definitely going to delve in on burnout and actually today i am quite burned out um so this is going to be for me as well because i have a lot going on and i am going to be taking notes so michael can you first tell us exactly who you are um like where you grew up stuff like that sure uh grew up in the detroit area um i've lived uh in most of the original six nhl cities other than Montreal. I haven't done any work or lived there, but I've worked in the other five of the six or lived there. Uh, so uh, it's a neat little fact about me. One day I'll probably do some work in Montreal so I can check that box off. Uh, but I have been in the role of my organization uh, since 2016. I had my own personal burnout journey uh, back in 2009 and 10, and it nearly cost me my life. And after rebuilding uh, after a pretty horrible year after what burnout did to me, uh, I decided I didn't want to do that again. So I you know, started studying what burnout was all about and you know, healed myself and, and was able to uh, get back into things. And then I realized a lot of people were, were burning out because I knew what the signs were and thought I needed to do something about it. So I started writing about it, launched my podcast, The Breakfast Leadership Show, back in 2017, uh, published some books, including Burnout Proof, which we're going to give you a link later on to you know, get a new copy or a PDF copy of that book and keynote speaker and consultant. So uh, it's been a wild, wild ride uh, doing this work, but you know, the work continues. Nothing would make me happier than to uh, go out of business because no one is burning out anymore. But we're not I'm not afraid that's going to happen anytime soon, which is which is sad because I'm sure there's other things that I could do besides talking about burnout, but because it's such a need, here I am. Gotcha. So you are a CBT therapist. Yeah, cognitive behavioral therapy and also neuro-linguistic programming therapist. I obtained those certifications when I started working with people because I kept coming up against uh, people that were burning out were burning out because of their habits, their thoughts, their beliefs, um, how they spend their time. Um, they're basically overcommitting themselves, uh, just loading up their calendar too much because they feel that they need to do it. Otherwise, they're going to let somebody down. And it just takes a big toll on people. And I was in that boat, too. I, I was horrible at delegation. I, I felt that I needed to do everything because I didn't because the other people were, were quote unquote, too busy and I didn't want to overwhelm them. So I ended up overwhelming me, which is what we see a lot of people do, unfortunately. That is so true. So can you tell us a little bit more about what is NLP? Yeah, neuro-linguistic programming. Basically, it's a basically a, a therapy. And a lot of people think the programming side of things. But it's basically a way for you to, and this is where the neuro part comes in with, with the brain and whatnot, is it's a way to you know, kind of get a better understanding as to why you think about things a certain way, how you react to things a certain way, why you believe things a certain way. 
and knowing that you can change how you think. Instead of being upset at somebody that cut you off, let's say you're driving and somebody cuts you off, a lot of times we'll get angry, we'll honk our horn, we'll we'll show them a hand gesture, we'll say some bad words, and away they go. That person, and this is something I want you to think about, so I'm sure everyone's been cut off. That person did not wake up this morning saying, I'm going to cut you off. That That's not likely going to happen, unless it's somebody you know and they just do it. But for the most part, they're not out to cut you off. They're speeding or cutting people off because they're in a hurry or they're not paying attention or they're thinking about something that's stressing them out. So they just cut you off. Um, there, There isn't usually an intent to cut you off. But we get angered and they said they violated my rights. So that's the way that you're thinking. Instead, think, okay, that person is in a hurry or they're having a bad day i'm gonna let it go because it wasn't directed at me so it's it's basically a a different way to think about the same situation and when you change how you think about situations those situations change for you they don't impact you as much you know we're seeing right now especially with inflation cost of everything interest rates, job losses, wars. There's all kinds of things going on right now in the world which stress us out. And we have to focus on the things that we as an individual can control. I can't control that you know, five pounds of beef costs whatever it costs at the grocery store. I can't control that. What I can do is control what I spend my money on control my emotions around those things understanding or if you don't understand learn how um, prices are high it's supply chain it's whether there's all kinds of components that impact the cost of what you're paying for at the grocery store Uh, so getting a better understanding of it can help you be more informed and educated and also kind of relieve some of the stress that you're facing of you know the price is too high well it's yes the price is high but it's also a component you may not be able to afford that right now what can you afford you know adjust accordingly so that's kind of a you know whirlwind answer to some of the things that nlp does it goes much deeper as far as questioning and habits and beliefs and all of that but that's a bird's eye view of it anyway okay so you you're also a consultant so that's a burnout consultant you're a best-selling author you're a podcaster and you are a former healthcare exec. Correct. That's a lot. Yeah, surprised I'm not burned out. No, but, right. <laughs> uh, well, I was, I was, I was burned out before I started doing all those things. Because if you, if you would have, you know, taken a snapshot of where I am now and gone back to 2009, say, you know, in 15 years from now, you're gonna be doing this. I would have looked at you like you had four heads. I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna do any of that. How can I get all of that done? Well, it, it's, I don't want to say it's easy. It's all about systems, prioritization, delegating, saying no a lot, uh, and just, you know, prioritization of how I spend my days, how I know my energy is, so I can best match the tasks and things I have to do to the energy that I have. So mornings for me are productive. I do a lot of productive things. Afternoons. My attention span isn't as great as far as doing detailed type of work. So that's when there's more, you know, what basically let me think of some conversations like podcast interviews or 
you know, just thinking about different things or strategic planning, maybe I'll, I'll do some of that, but it comes and goes and everybody's different. And one of the things that the pandemic taught a lot of people is they realized that they're more productive, maybe early mornings or even in the evenings than they are in other parts of the day where they are normally working. So that's why you're seeing a lot of people really gravitate to this remote or at least hybrid work because they can work at different hours where they have the energy and the awareness to do the work uh, without interruption and, and clear and other people are different. So it, it's an interesting dynamic to watch as we're still evolving with this whole hybrid work versus remote versus in person all the time. It's, it's still it's still kind of in flux and we haven't landed on quote unquote what it will be because it may never land on what it will be. It may just ebb and flow as companies grow and, and, and come into existence. And unfortunately companies go out of business too. So it, it'll be an interesting ride to see how all of that goes. Okay. So you mentioned earlier about having the ability to say no. How do you, talk to people that are like people pleasers like myself who always try to get things done how can we learn to start saying no without feeling like we're hurting someone's feelings or something yeah i am a reformed people pleaser so i know what you're going through i highly recommend people obviously I'd love for them to buy my book but this is a book i didn't write it it was by uh, Dr. Harriet Breaker. It's called Disease to Please. It was published in the year 2000. It was a life-changing book for me. Um, there's 21 days of exercises in it. It identifies the different type of people pleaser you are. I thought I was a certain type of people pleaser, but after reading the book, reading the book and doing the exercises, I recognized that I was actually a little bit different than what I thought I was. But it this is one of the things that gets people in trouble is because we, you know, deep down, we want to help people. And the majority of people, I think, want to be helpful. Some of us tend to do that to a more extreme degree than others. We're like, yes, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll pick that up. Yeah, I'll go and do that. Yeah, I'll, I'll create that project for you. Yeah, I'll do this. Yeah, I'll do that. And we forget that we have to take care of ourselves first. Because if you don't take care of yourself you're not going to have the energy or the mental or physical capacity for you to do all of that. You know, when I had my burnout and, you know, real quick, what happened over a period of a year from May 2009 to May 2010, I had a heart attack that should have killed me. I lost my job 17 weeks later during the Great Recession. My car was repossessed a few months later. And then finally, my home was foreclosed. All those things happened to me because I was burned out. And I don't want to go back there, but I was too busy trying to help others, not taking care of me. I was working too many hours instead of taking time away to relax, refresh and get away from work. And entrepreneurs and business owners that are trading their nine to five for the 6 a.m. to midnight job, because that's basically what being an entrepreneur can look like. You're taking a toll on yourself. We want, I know the pressure. You want to get money coming in. You want to be able to buy things. You want to be able to pay your bills. Everybody hates paying bills, but we all love the ability to be able to pay bills. And when we lose that, that's stressful. Um, so all of those things play a part, but ultimately you, you just, you have to prioritize yourself and saying no to things strengthens your yeses. 
So the things you do say yes to that you have the capacity to do that won't drain you, but will actually build you up. Those are the things you need to work on. But, you know, and a lot of, especially when you're establishing boundaries and starting saying no to people that you've always said yes to, they're going to be put off by that. Some of them may be angry with you. Some of them may want nothing to do with you. Good. Cut them out of your life. I don't care if they're family. I don't care if they're a customer. If they cut you off because you're taking care of yourself first, you don't want them in your life. And I know that is abrupt and bold, but no one will take care of you if you're okay. You have family members and things like that. I did when I had my heart attack and all that stuff. I had family to take care of me, but friends and family, you know, you know, no one showed up to chip in to help me you know, prevent losing my car or my home. No, no, I didn't see anybody going through that and helping up. Not mad at them. They had their own lives to live. They had their own bills. They had their own things. Not mad at them. Never asked. But if you're expecting people to just show up and shower you with gifts and support when you're laid up and not being able to work, right. um, think again. So you have to take care of yourself first because when you do and you're the best version of you, then when you do say yes to things they're getting a better version than you would ever be able to give before so say say no more to them say yes to you and just really pick the things that are going to benefit your business benefit you and benefit society and the extra stuff you know if you have time to do it and you want to do it that's not going to deplete you then then look at it. But of course, keep track of your schedule so you don't overwhelm yourself, which we all tend to do no matter what. Right. So I know 2009, that was your burnout journey. It probably had to be some of the most difficult times in your life. But you actually um, describe it as one of the best times in your life. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that's because of the realization you found about burnout. How long did it take you to realize that? Because I know in the midst of all of that, it probably wasn't positive. But how how long did it take you to realize that that actually was a blessing in disguise? Uh, for me, it was probably the end of 2010, early 2011, when I had gotten back into the swing of things. I'd found a new role. We moved into a new place to live. We had a vehicle. We were able to pay bills again. I was working. So, and during the time that I was off, the 17 weeks between my cardiac event to losing my job, I did a lot of work then because I realized I don't want to go through, you know, ever having a heart attack again. I want to live. So what do I need to do to do that? So a lot of the work happened during those 17 weeks. And then the other dominoes fell, which I think the work that I did, I know the work that I did during those 17 weeks Help me navigate through those stressful things because otherwise the stress that I was living with up to the cardiac event, if I didn't learn how to address that, you know, the job loss, the car loss, the home loss could have, you know, been game over for me, but it didn't, you know, for me, I was able to navigate through those things best I could, you know, using NLP and I wasn't studying it then, you know, as I just changed the framework. I wasn't mad at the company for letting me go. They wanted to go in a different direction. Fine. Okay. Then I'm, I'm not going to be angry at them or say bad things about them or anything like that. I will let them deal with their own karma. And I'm, I'm just going to stay over here and, and find a new job. The car being taken away. 
never mad at that bank. I still bank with that bank. Um, so I'm not mad at them. They gave me a loan. I didn't pay it. They took the car back. Okay. But a lot of people say, I can't believe that I'm, you know, after the year I've had, they, then they come and take my car. Never had that victim mentality. I, I said, no, I'm not going victim on this one. I'm going to stay positive in everything that I do. And then, of course, the home was the same thing. The reason why we lost the car in the home was one, unemployment, and two, my heart medication was $1,000 a month out of pocket. We didn't have any insurance coverage because I didn't have a job anymore. So, you know, $1,000 a month out of pocket plus paying for food and everything else for your family, you got to make choices. And, you know, we worked with the creditors as long as we could. But if you remember during the Great Recession, a lot of people were having trouble. So the banks could only do so much and they had to you know, reclaim their assets you know, if we didn't pay for them. So not mad at the mortgage company, not mad at the, uh, the bank that gave us a loan for the car and never have been, never will be. It's, you know, we didn't pay. They have the right to take it back. And nope, uh, I wasn't mad, but I know a lot of people would be upset about that. I'm not saying that I wasn't upset. I was upset about the situation, but I wasn't upset at the, the stakeholders involved because, well, I, I was responsible for those things. The way that I was living put me in that scenario. So for me, I decided I need to change how I live in order to avoid this from happening again. And before I continue, I just want to warn people. 99.9% of people that are burned out do not need to reinvent your entire life. I chose to. Majority of people don't. You just need to make a couple adjustments here and there, and you'll see big dividends on how things go, and it will ease the burnout for you. So don't be afraid that you're going to have to completely change if you're Republican, turn into a Democrat, or if you're a Democrat, turn into a Republican. We're not talking extremes like that. We're talking about a little adjustment here and there on things that you do and how you spend your time and how you live your life. It will make big, big differences in your life if you just make those little adjustments that you need to make. Okay. So while you were bouncing back during um, that time after your heart attack and you had to make those realizations, did you do everything alone or did you do therapy, journaling, anything like that? I did a lot of journaling. I did not use a therapist, and that is my one regret if I have one uh, during that time. I think if I would have used a therapist, it would have moved things along a little bit faster. Uh, but, you know, I, I highly recommend everyone get a therapist because we all have stuff in our life that we probably need to address or deal with, whether it's a past trauma, past experience communication problems with loved ones, um, regrets, things like that. Mental health has never been more accessible. I, there's plenty of online places to get help that can be affordable um, and not cost prohibitive. Your health care plan may actually be, if you're working, have something, excuse me, in it. We're seeing more and more companies are adding more and more mental health resources in the benefits packages. So use those find somebody that you can talk to um, that's trained on being able to help you through these challenging times that you're facing because there's always something even if you're not having anything going on now there might be some past situations in your in your childhood or adult life early adult life that 
you probably could, you know, use some help on to help you kind of learn from it, move on from it, you know, learn some mechanisms to prevent those types of things from happening again in your life. Um, but I highly recommend everybody get a therapist. Everyone, there's something in your life that you could, you know, hopefully it's small, but would be a big help if you addressed it. So it's just my biggest recommendation I can give. Okay. So what do you think is the number one cause for burnout? Is it workplace? Is it family? Or is it a little mixture? Uh, majority from all the stats that we see and the research that the World Health Organization and the Surgeon General of the United States has done is, you know, it, it's mostly workplace because the hours and the demands of work on us continues to get a little bit more increased. Um, and this goes back to the Great Recession where a lot of people that didn't lose their jobs during that time, they ended up having to pick up the work slack of the people that were laid off. And the companies, in most part, never really brought those people back. So the workload just got increased. Yeah, they may have thrown you a little bit more money, but the workload was there. And then the workload continues to increase over time, and you're just overwhelmed. Um, I knew, you know, I know somebody that left a job and because their manager was horrible one two never gave clear direction three said we just get things done here that that's not direction that's that's just a pass off um really didn't know what the role entailed and provided no help to this employee and it was just a toxic toxic environment and instead of the owner of the company dealing with this person and, and using a Jack Welch term, de-hiring them because they were a lousy manager and toxic to the organization, they just end up replacing the per this person time and time again. They've had probably four or five people in that role in the last six years. Uh, it's it, it, anybody that can see knows this internally they know it but the organization just wants to limp along with it because of whatever reasons they choose but you know as tom peters tells us you know hire slow fire fast if you've got toxic leaders or toxic employees get rid of them um there's plenty of people out there. there's plenty of talent uh don't linger around with people to say yeah well, well they're too good they know so much yeah but they're making your organization a turnstile for employees and you're going to stagnate your growth and eventually you're going to lose out on customers because of this toxic employee so don't you know coach them see if they can turn around if they can't send them on their way and find somebody else okay so from the perspective of an employee how can they deal with workplace burnout without quitting? The, many ways. One, you talk. Hopefully, you have a good communication uh, path with your manager or managers or leaders. Uh, if you don't, uh, that's something you need to work on. Uh, if they're not open to communication, and they use an example, we just get work done here, and that company doesn't want to have any discussion around looking at what kind of work you're doing and prioritization of all the things you need to do. If they don't want to have that conversation, then you probably should look for another role because it's not a healthy organization. They're not going to change um, unless a lot of people quit and then they realize, okay, it's a bad manager or management team and they clean house, uh, which I've seen organizations do that. Um, and it's hopefully 
if you've got a good boss or manager, what happens with a lot of managers is they delegate work out to people. And if you're really good at what you do, congratulations, you're going to get more work because you're good at what you do. Well, you're so good at this. I want you to see if you can do this. And they, in many cases, unintentionally overwhelm you with work because they don't keep track of how much they've delegated to you. So when you actually say, here's all the things that I'm working on right now and put it on a, a you know, piece of paper, hopefully it fits on one piece. If it's multiple pages, put all out on the table or post-it note or on a wall or something like that. Here's all the things that I have to do right now. And they're going to go, hopefully, if they're a good manager, they're going to realize, wow, that's a lot. I'm sorry that I overwhelmed you with stuff. Let's prioritize and let's see if we can get other people to do some other things and or delay it or don't do it. I mean, that's going back to saying no. There's so many things that companies do that they really don't need to do. They just do it because, well, that's how we've always done it. And it doesn't provide any value or information or data or anything like that. So it's like, stop doing that. It's not worth it. You've got a system that already does most of it for you. Tweak a couple things. It'll get you the report you need. You don't have to do a separate spreadsheet on it when the system will generate one for you. But sometimes people just get stuck in a rut and they say, this is how we do it. Well, you know, if, if that was the case, we never would have had a car. We would never have had astronauts in space. We would never have the internet, technology, cameras, all this stuff, all these things that we use and take advantage of today. We would have never had it if people just said, no, we don't need to do that because we just do it this way. So organizations are robbing themselves of innovation. So getting back to your original question, employees need to prioritize what they're working on, share their concerns with you know their manager saying okay I'm, I'm getting a bit overwhelmed can we help me prioritize this work also establish boundaries around when you work and when you don't because these smartphones are amazing devices they allow us to work anywhere at any time but you know what the problem is with them we can work anywhere at any time right and we see this little notification slack message or text message or email showing up on our screen we see all the little red circles on all the apps and our brain goes you have to deal with that you have to deal with that so it could be nine o'clock at night is that normally when you work no then why are you doing work at 9 p.m at night well i got a message don't put that thing on silent if you have a work phone and your work day is from nine to five you know of course get clearance with your boss but come up with if there's an emergency or excuse me, urgent situation. I don't like saying emergency because emergency, that term should be reserved to hospitals only. Everything else is urgent. It's not an emergency. If it's a true emergency, you're calling police or the fire services to deal with something. If it's not on fire and someone didn't get killed or a crime happened, it's not an emergency. It's urgent. Uh, it's just a vernacular thing that I correct people on all the time. Having worked in healthcare, it's like, it's not an emergency, it's urgent. Unless right. the building's on fire or somebody's threatening to harm somebody. Okay, that's you know, that's an emergency. But at the end of the day, you got to establish boundaries when you work and when you don't. Clearly communicate with your boss and your team on everything you're working on. Make sure that everybody understands what you need to get done. And if there's any gaps, you know, flush those out. Take take ownership of trying to solve it. And if the organization is decent, they'll work with you on that. If they're not, then find another organization that will. Right. So 
that is true when we are dealing with boundaries because we do need to set boundaries you know in a job everywhere i'm sure there is a thin line sometimes when it comes to workplace between having the confidence to create boundaries and being insubordinate have you ever seen it come up yeah oh definitely you have and that's why it's really important for you to establish boundaries around when you work and when you don't and but also understand that there are certain projects or things that come up that's going to require you to work potentially longer hours. A colleague of mine had a big project they were working on and they, for a variety of reasons, ran into some time constraints and this colleague ended up having to work and he stayed up. I, I, I yelled at him. He knew I was going to yell at him. But he basically stayed up for 55 straight hours to get the thing done. And I'm like, was it accurate? Was it correct? Because if you're not getting sleep, your cognitive abilities diminish quickly. You won't recognize patterns. You'll make mistakes. You'll get irritable. It's not a good thing. So if there's anything that you can do to help with burnout is make sure you get good night's sleep. Do whatever you need to to ensure that you're getting decent sleep. And that will help a lot with managing your stress. And prolonged stress is what turns into burnout. So if you can manage that stress and keep it from becoming prolonged, then you can prevent burnout. Do do you uh, notice that we have more burnout here in America as opposed to Europe? Because I know they have a different work schedule, like in Paris, for example. It's... We're seeing, and burnout is, is global, but we're, we're seeing you know, less cases of it in Europe because the way they work is different from the five-day, 40-hour work week that Henry Ford created a century ago, which doesn't really match up with office-type work. But they, they just adopt the template. They went, here's this. You know, they're already talking now, and you know, at, at the time of this recording, you know, the U.S. automakers and the United Auto Workers are negotiating new contracts. And one of the things that they are strongly looking at is a reduction to a four day, 32 hour work week without a reduction in salary. So it's like they're cutting back. Why? Because they realize that, you know, if people are fatigued and tired, and overwhelmed the the quality of the work drops off that's why we saw in the early days of the pandemic you know productivity levels were at or above what they were before the pandemic these people started adapting to a different type of work style and it was a little bit more laid back they didn't have the ugly commute they were able to kind of navigate working at home and dealing with kids and all the other things they do but we found that you know those people were as productive, if not more. Yes, there's going to be the people that slacked off. Well, guess what? They were going to they were going to be slacking off at work anyway. So if they were in the office, they're not going to be engaged in doing that. And again, those are employees that you want to you know address. Try to correct their behavior. If it doesn't correct, then have them meet with HR and, and show them the banker's box room and you know send them on their merry way and 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 bring that but it goes both ways if your employer doesn't want you to you know have a life outside of work or work you too many hours and never leaves you alone 
show them the banker's box room. There's a ton of organizations out there that don't do that. You just have to do your homework and talk with people and find them. Okay. All right. So let's pivot a little bit to family burnout. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's a little, that may be probably less prevalent, but I'm sure it's a little bit more difficult to deal with because we have more ties to these people and especially if it's kids. Yeah, kids and so many people became caregivers during the pandemic. You know, there were a lot of people, you know, senior citizens in particular, that lost their lives. So all of a sudden, you know, many sons and daughters became caregivers for their you know, surviving parent or parents, uh, depending on the situation. And that is a huge, huge undertaking, uh, especially if the medical conditions of the parents aren't ideal or not great. Uh, there's a lot of coordination with appointments and checkups and medications, you name it. There's so much to it. And unfortunately, you know, as our population continues to get older and the stats that uh, we saw when I was on a government panel studying the age in a particular region, you know, the population over age 65 will double by the end of this decade and people over age 90 will triple. There's going to be a lot more older Americans around and those people historically tend to be a big, big user of the healthcare system because their bodies are failing. They're, they're, they're breaking down because, well, we do a lot of damage to ourselves over our lives and eventually it catches up to us. So family burnout is when you're running around trying to coordinate all these appointments if you've got kids as well so you're kind of in a sandwich situation well you're making sure your kids are getting everything they need the education food you know you know, all the other things that we do and you know a lot of parents feel the obligation to make sure that their kids are involved in after school activities whether it's piano robotics stem additional stem training whatever the case may be so you've got all of that going on and oh by the way you work too so you've got all the demands from work so you know burnout at home can be problematic especially if you're a single parent or you know both parents are working and you know both of you run into problems as far as being able to do something because work is requiring you to do something a bigger project which takes you away so it all kind of goes hand in hand but again it's a case of with every caregiver is or parent is you gotta take care of you because if you're not there somebody else is going to be taking care of your family members and it may not be the family um so it's you just have to set boundaries around this and if that means that your kid is not going to go to piano lessons this semester or quarter because you simply don't have the time they don't go it's not the end of the world you can learn piano at any age but parents sometimes self-guilt themselves saying i'm a bad parent because i'm not letting my daughter go to recital or piano lessons or robotics camp or things like that you're not a bad parent you have to prioritize what you have to do your your obligations and that means saying no to some things you can't do it all you think you can but you try to do it all then you get to meet a cardiologist after you've had a cardiac event assuming you survive and i'm telling you that we're seeing more and more people under the age of 40 having cardiac events that's really scary because 
it naturally can shorten your lifespan tremendously, depending on what kind of situation you have. And or you're going to be on heart medication for decades, which has obviously long-term impact as well. So you don't take care of yourself, then if you're lucky, the hospital will take care of you for a bit when you're not going to be able to work. So it, it's a tough go either way. Okay. So how does self-care tie into this? Self-care is about it. Um, Self-care is making sure you take care of yourself first. Make sure you do things in life for you. I gave the example a moment ago where you're taking your kids to all kinds of different things, where it's basketball practice or hockey practice or recitals, piano lessons, robotics training, whatever. You're constantly driving all over town to get your kids to these places, which is good. I'm not saying it isn't. It's important for your kids to get exposure to different things. Um, to give them a well-rounded life uh, growing up. It's you know very important, but it, if you're not taking care of yourself by eating the foods that are right for you, getting in some activity, getting your sleep, doing things in life that you enjoy for you, not just for your kids. I see all these parents say, I'll, I'll do it when my kids grow up. Well, then when your kids grow up, depending on how late you have your kids, I mean, you could be in your 50s or 60s you're 60 years old unless you're a top physical specimen backpacking in europe is not gonna happen i you know case of point, i worked at a healthcare center a few years ago and there were two young doctors they were both in their 30s and it's established their practice their practice was up and running had lots of patients things were good they shut their practice down for a year they just literally, they, they sold off all their patients. They shut down their practice. They both got backpacks and they went backpacking in Europe for a year. And the other doctors thought they were crazy. It's like, you just started practicing medicine. Now you're shutting it down to go backpack. And they said, yeah, because we want to do this. This is something we want to do. We know if we wait till we retire, we won't be able to do it because our bodies won't allow us to. So we're going to do it now. And I, I remember talking with both of them saying, you, you're basically the reason why the other doctors are so mad at you is because they're jealous and they feel bad for themselves that they didn't take that opportunity to do it. So if there's something that you want to do in life and you're putting it off till you retire, you have to ask yourself and be honest with yourself because you can look at your ancestors let's say your mom or your grandmother or grandfather or grand or dad or something like that. It's like, think of when they were at the age of retirement, would they have been able to do what you want to do? And if that answer is no, you need to reprioritize, reprioritize yourself and, and schedule that and do it much sooner. And if that means taking a year off of work and going to find a new job, and that's really important for you to do that thing, then you need to do it. And you budget, you figure out how to do it. You know, you get the money, you go do it. You, you'll, you will, you won't be lying on your deathbed going, I really wish I would have done that backpacking trip through, you know, Eastern or Western Europe or wherever. And you'd be laying there going, I, I should have done it when I was younger. Isn't, and we've heard the phrase, no one, no one laying on their deathbed says, you know, I wish I would have worked more. Hmm. They don't. Right. Unless they're a psychopath, in my right. opinion. In my opinion, I'm not saying that people that work hard are psychopaths. I'm not saying that, but they usually don't say that. They may right. say, I wish I would have launched that business when I had that idea or something like that. But 
when it comes to doing things in life you want to do and enjoy in life, do them as soon as you can, as young as you are. Because if you wait, your body may not allow you to do it. I don't want you to have that regret. Right. Like they say, there's, there's no award for the most overworked person. Nope. Oh, oh there might be, but it's it's not going to be a, an award you're going to want. Right. Yeah. It'll be that doctor you talked about. <laughs> um, so people think a lot of times when we talk about self-care, people think that self-care is just getting a massage or taking having a spa day. Mm-hmm. What exactly is self-care? Self-care is doing things in life you enjoy doing. It could be having coffee at a local bistro with your best friend. It could be going for a long drive along the coast. It could be writing in your journal. It could be reading a book. It could be watching Netflix or Disney Plus or Hulu or Paramount Plus or or the 18,000 other subscriptions we have on TV. It could be listening to music. It could be going for a walk with your dog. It could be going shopping. It could be you know, taking a nap in a hammock. It could be going on a trip. It could be you know, ordering takeout. Uh, it could be cooking dinner for your best friend or your loved one. That's self-care. Doing things in life you enjoy doing, that's self-care. Yes, yoga, meditation, moments of zen. Sure, that is part of it if it works for you. For a lot of people, it doesn't. So, But they get that relaxing feeling by just sitting you know, outside of a coffee shop, having a cup of coffee with their friend, just talking about life or their dogs or what's going on in the latest episode or whatever. That's self-care because you're in the moment, you're enjoying things and you're not multitasking. When you're in those moments and you're enjoying things so much, the likelihood of you picking up your smartphone reduces because you don't need to look at it. You don't need to get that dopamine hit from you know looking at the screen going did i get a message put it down keep it in your pocket keep it in your purse you know just be in the moment it'll make such a big big difference in your life when you do those things right okay so going over all of the your burnout journey in 2009 or it may not even be that but what was your worst lost loss of all of those things, I, I would say the car. And a lot of people go, what? The car? I mean, you had a heart attack. You lost your job. You had you know, a house foreclosed on you. But losing the car was the worst thing. Yes, and this is why. Because I was actually in a different town because I had relocated to where my new job was, which was about four hours away from where we were living, the family. And so I was up at work. And my oldest daughter called me. It was a little after four o'clock one day and crying. And finally was able to get from her that um, a tow truck had come and towed away the family vehicle. And the reason why that was so bad was I wasn't there to just be there and console the kids. Cause that, you know, they were little, but, and you know, my, my former wife was, you know, obviously quite upset. Cause that's, you know, that's a pretty big deal. Here's your car. It's getting towed away. You're never getting it again. That's that's pretty emotional. Uh, but I wasn't physically there for that. So I as it was one of those things where I felt powerless at that moment. But I realized like I wasn't mad at the bank, and um, the tow truck driver was kind enough to let them empty empty it out 
of any personal belongings, things like that. They didn't just take it. It was in the driveway and they came to pick it up and take it, but they were kind enough to let them take any personal belongings out of it. So um, that was helpful. But, you know, even that experience would be traumatic because you're going into your vehicle for the last time before the bank takes it from you. Uh, it's not a pleasant feeling for sure. Uh, but that was that was probably the worst one. Obviously, the heart attack, if I had to scale or score one as far as, you know, my longevity kind of thing, pretty big deal because uh, you know my age i shouldn't have had a heart attack that early in life and obviously i take much better care of myself now i wish i would have done that earlier because i would have been able to prevent it and prevent everything else but then again i wouldn't be talking to you today about burnout because i wouldn't have had it and it wouldn't have been on my radar but you know li life creates opportunities so um no regrets when it comes to that how old were you when you had the heart attack i was 40. yeah that's pretty young Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. All right. So as we are nearing, I know this was going to be a good one because you have learned so much. But my question is, if you can go back and talk to 17 year old Michael and mm -hmm. talk to him about life and the things that he is about to experience, what would you tell him? I would have said if I only had like one sentence to share, because if there was not, then obviously I, I would share a whole lot. I'd spend a ton of time with them. And uh, real side story real quick. I was on the subway. This was a couple of years ago before the pandemic. And I was on the subway and I saw this kid that was in college kids. And this one boy who was probably, I'm guessing, 18 at the time looked a lot like me i mean it was like at that age i'm looking at him i'm going just facial mannerisms and things like that you know one i probably should have asked him excuse me what's your mom's name uh, but but i but i didn't um i didn't uh secondly i'm just looking at him and i and i thought about that it's like okay if i had an opportunity to go back in time and meet my 17 year old me what would i you know what would i talk about and one it would be okay you know at 17 we think we know everything uh which we don't and now that i'm in my 50s i still don't know everything uh, but I think I would have said, don't take life so seriously. You know, be more in the moment. Things will work out. Um, set yourself up for success. Take really good care of yourself from an education standpoint, from a food standpoint. Don't, don't try to impress other people. Impress yourself. You know, your competition is you. So... This version of me is in competition with past versions of me and future versions of me. I'm competing with me. Uh, and just you know, take life as it presents itself. Look for the opportunities. You know, keep, keep grounded as much as you can. And, you know, just keep it really simple. And if he wanted to ask more, then I would have shared all kinds of different things. Um, but again, on the flip side of it, it would have changed the entire direction of my life if I would have done the things that I should have done. So I don't know where I would be, who I would be with, where I'd live. I, it could have completely changed everything. So that's why if they ever invent time travel to go back in time, I, I'm concerned because I think a lot of us would change things, but it would make it a bigger mess. We've seen that in all the comic book movies. So we know right. what happens. It gets, it gets to be messy. It's like, just leave it be because 
every one of those challenges or learning experiences are bricks that you just build steps to get you to the next level. So I wouldn't change anything, but I would, I would say just take life easier. Don't, don't stress out so much. And I think that would have been some really good advice for 17 year old Mike. Okay. All right. I like that. Okay. So you have a free giveaway that you want to yep. give the listeners. So go ahead and let them know and let them know how they can follow you and keep up with you as well. So you have a podcast. Let them know about it. Sure do. Thank you so much for that. So uh, there's a book that I wrote a couple years ago called Burnout Proof, and it's available on Amazon, but you can get a free PDF copy. Just go to breakfastleadership.com slash burnout book. Or if you just go to breakfastleadership.com, there'll probably be a pop up unless you block them uh, where you can you know, fill out uh, just name and email and we'll send you a PDF copy of the book and um, probably a bunch of other resources because I tend to give people more than they ask for just because I want people to not burn out. So yeah, breakfastleadership.com slash burnout book or breakfastleadership.com will be able to you know, get you that information. The Breakfast Leadership Show podcast I've been doing since uh, 2017, having a blast with it. That's on all the major platforms. Just look up Breakfast Leadership and you should find it. And really appreciate our time today. Perfect. Thank you so much. And I'm going to go get that that book myself because I'm one of those people pleasers that um, have issues saying no because I feel bad. But, you you know, you have to think about your overall health, your well-being, your mental state and everything else. So thank you, Michael, uh, for being a part of today's show. And thank you for the listeners for sticking with us. I hope you all take advantage of what Michael Levitt is giving out, which is the book that, which is a, a huge resource guys, trust me, you know, especially if you're younger, listen. So every time I ask that question about things that you can change it's for a reason. So you guys, if you are younger, listening to this, you got to take heed of these things so that you can fix your life and make it better. So thank you. Please remember to like comment, subscribe, share and all that good stuff and hit the alerts and the notifications and all that stuff. And if the Lord says the same, I will see you all next week. Bye-bye.